And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. So excited to bring back our featured guest for the third time, Doug Casey. Man, is brilliant beyond his years. Before we begin, I just wanted to do a little trivia with you. And the trivia question is, who paid the largest criminal fine in history? Well, the answer is Pfizer. The pharmaceutical giant Pfizer agreed to pay $2.3 billion to settle a civil and criminal allegations that it illegally marketed its painkiller called Bextra which has been withdrawn. It was the largest healthcare fraud settlement and the largest criminal find of its kind ever. And the reason why what I just said is so important is because Pfizer has their COVID vaccine approved. But you know they wouldn't do anything to you know harm people, right? And another thing that uh, now people are saying, well, the FDA approved this thing, so obviously it's good and you got to take it. Well, the FDA also approved fentanyl, and it approved benfen, and it approved a bunch of other drugs that are pretty bad. And according to an article that was found on CNN, there was a study done in the Journal of the American Medical Association that came out, and it said that about a third of the drugs the FDA approved between 2001 and 2010 were involved in some kind of safety event after reaching the market. I mean, come on, there's there's no credibility left. And at this point, you're on your own. You have to think for yourself because if you're thinking for yourself. I think you probably have a real good chance of navigating through whatever storm is coming. And going back to our featured guest, he's so knowledgeable and so passionate, and he has such a incredible foresight that I believe talking to people like him and engaging other people in your community that are critical thinkers is only going to do wonderful things for you. Let us begin tonight's show. It is a great honor once again to welcome back to our show best-selling author, world-renowned spectator, libertarian philosopher, Doug Casey. And we're about to... Mr. Casey, by going to his website at internationalman.com. Mr. Casey, welcome back to our show. And before we begin, can you please tell our audience a little bit about your three new novels that you have coming out? Well, thanks, Ryan. That's a question that anybody who's an author loves to hear. Um, uh, Several years ago, uh, I started writing novels. Uh, as opposed to nonfiction. Why? Because there are certain things that you can only say in the form of fiction, and you'd best not say in the form of nonfiction. And these novels, Speculator, Drug Lord, and Assassin, uh, chart the uh, history of our hero, Charles Knight, 
as he reforms uh, the uh, unjustly besmirched reputations of increasingly politically incorrect occupations. That sounds like a mouthful. Uh, but uh, he goes from being a, uh, a speculator as a young man, gets involved in a bush war in Africa, uh, becomes a drug lord, and uh, in both cases has a lot of money stolen from him by the U.S. government. And in the most recent novel, Assassin, uh, he decides that uh, he ought to do something about it. But that's a book that tracks the history and the morality of and effectiveness of uh, political assassination. So anyway, that's what I'm doing now, working on the fourth novel to be coming out about this time next year. So well, I cover a lot of economic issues and all these things, obviously. Well, in some of these novels that you do, do you actually have some takeaway lessons that are a reflection of some of the articles that you've already written? Yeah, pretty much. I like to... Uh, I like to talk about philosophical issues. And by that I mean what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. Uh, people don't give an adequate consideration to that type of thing today. Uh, in fact, in today's world, the government has been the major mover of everything. And that's a real pity because government as an entity is based on coercion. It's based on force. And I don't believe in coercion or force as being uh, something that should be primary. I, I'm a voluntarist. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that's absolutely correct. Excellent. And reading one of your recent articles talked about the five shocking predictions for the years to come. And I see some similarities between some of the things that you've been talking about and economist Martin Armstrong. I mean, you both believe that Klaus Schwab from the Davos, and they're not going to succeed with this great reset, or they're not going to control the world. Is there any particular reason why you see that there won't be a new world order or there won't be this one world government? Do you foresee that we'll have countries that will be very tyrannical and others that will be free? Where do you see things particularly heading? Well, first of all, I think that the entire world is heading in the wrong direction at this point. By that, I mean uh, more statism, more collectivism, more taxation, more regulation, and much higher levels of money printing, which results in inflation. Uh, it also results in bubbles in the financial market. And when those bubbles break, there's a lot of people who are going to be very unhappy. So, yeah, we're heading for a real uh, dust-up internationally, uh, possibly including uh, something that looks like World War III, likely between the U.S. and China for a number of different reasons. And people like Schwab and, the, uh, and his World Economic Council, but frankly, most large NGOs uh, uh, are, are very, very dangerous uh, entities. Uh, they're, they're run by professional busybodies, rich, powerful, that think they know what's best for everybody else and want to lord it over the hoi polloi. So uh, I despise Mr. Schwab and everything he stands for. Same here.
And looking at it from a voluntarist, there's another gentleman we've had on our show before, Larkin Rose. And what's really strange about him, Mr. Casey, is that he seems to be this eternal optimist. He's saying that because the state is now flat out stopping the carrot, using force, using coercion, it is actually turning a lot of people away uh, from statism, that they're growing a, a great disdain for it. I mean, if you look about what's happened even the past week, all these people that were told that they were heroes for getting a vaccine, in about 48 hours, they were told, no, you're not a hero. You're actually, you're a super spreader, and you're actually causing part of the problem. And I wonder if those people, if that causes them to lose faith in this. So when you're saying that, we're moving towards more statism. I wonder if, if the wheels are in motion or trends are in motion to see the counter uh, movement happen because maybe so many people are being turned off by that. I was wondering how you see it. Well, that's a good point that you make. Uh, there are counter trends. Uh, but uh, look at it this way. The, the status, the collectivists, people that that, that believe the kind of things that Schwab believes. Um, they've captured the education system in the U.S. and most other countries in the world and have captured it for the last several generations. And they've indoctrinated many, many millions of kids with these ideas. And once you plant a bad idea in a kid's head, it's really hard to get rid of it. So... That's working against us. The average kid today has been indoctrinated with cultural Marxism going to school. Uh, the entertainment industry is full of these people. And movies and TV shows suddenly put out these values. Uh, big corporations are totally woke today. And you can, you know, you can see their, their values and their advertising. Sports teams, totally woke, and you see that. Uh, look, it's, it's almost everywhere. And yeah, uh, a lot of individuals are reacting against that, but that's mainly people that are critical thinkers, and critical thinkers have always been a minority in the population. <laughs> I'm sad to say the, uh, the average American, in fact, the average person everywhere in the world is a whip dog. Uh, some countries worse than others. Some countries are such they're such horrible whip dogs. They they roll over on their back and wet themselves when confronted with an authority figure. So I'm not optimistic uh, about the next decade for many reasons. I'm not optimistic about it for the for political reasons, social reasons, economic reasons, financial, military. I think this is going to be an ugly decade. After this decade is over, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, like I said, if we have a, a major war, well, it becomes completely unpredictable because that war is likely to be uh, uh, largely biological in nature, uh, secondarily uh, computer-driven. I'm not so much worried about nuclear weapons, although they'll certainly be used sporadically. You think that these wars or this coming war will basically just be the elites trying to, to cement more power, trying to cement a one world government? Or is this going to be legitimate powers that are fighting for something that are not in cahoots with each other? Because I've always 
had the understanding that the elites really controlled everything and they just pit nations against each other for the sake of kind of keeping their game going and you know draining resources out of countries and getting countries to go into debt so they can make money and then taking the resources so i'm just curious if they these will be legitimate wars or they will these will just be you know another step in the elites you know pushing us towards the, the global tyranny well let's let's put it this way uh government uh, which is institutionalized coercion, institutionalized force, is the problem in the world. And uh, government is abetted by the average person. I don't care if that person is a, a conservative or a libertarian. Uh, they, they probably believe in democracy today. A democracy is kind of the, the reigning god in the world. Uh, it can do no, no, no wrong. So all these people go out and vote, and they vote for the kind of people that run for office. So uh, actually, it, it, it's the uh, look. I don't believe in voting to start with because it's when you vote, even if you're voting against the lesser of two evils, uh, the lesser of uh, the, the greater voting against the greater of two evils. Uh, you're left with the lesser of two evils, and and the lesser of two evils is still evil. I think the best way to uh, solve this problem is to uh, not participate. I mean, suppose they gave a, a war and nobody nobody came. Suppose they gave a tax and nobody paid. Suppose they gave an election and nobody voted. Uh, that would be the best way to disenfranchise the state. Is it realistic on my part? Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to do the uh, what I believe is the correct and moral thing uh, from my point of view, something that I can uh, control personally. So uh, as much as I can, I, I try not to play these people's games. I don't vote in their elections. I try not to pay their taxes. That's very hard. Try not to use their currency. Try not to obey their regulations. Uh, if everybody did that, it might it, it might help collapse this rotten system and we, we might uh, we might tend more towards uh, a free market society at that point. But uh, these are dangerous times we live in. Of course, times are always dangerous. Well, I'm glad you said that last part. I mean, based on what you've just um, discussed about how you try to avoid this, what are some of the ways that the average person can you know, sidestep the tyranny or sidestep all the economic, uh, you know, clampdowns and lockdowns. I, you know, I, I always feel like if these people want to be locked down, go right ahead, but I don't want to be a part of it. I, I never, you know, succumbed or never listened to anything that these tyrannical governments were saying. I just did my own thing the whole time. But like, what are some of the things that the average person can do to, you know, to sidestep and to live free in the midst of all this tyranny? Well, one thing I think it's important to do is to uh, confront the enemy. Uh, when you hear something said that you think is wrong or destructive, don't just sit there and let them get away with it, because that, that validates those points of views. You've got to challenge people, whether it's, I, I, at least I believe so, whether it's you know your, your next door neighbor or somebody at a social club or a cocktail party uh, might make you unpopular, but I believe in doing the right thing first and foremost. That's one thing you can do. Uh, even more important than that, 
is you should try to become wealthy because uh, wealth helps you to insulate yourself from these people. And wealth is a great instrument to change things in a, in a non-coercive manner. So one of the problems with so many libertarians is they understand money in theory uh, as libertarians, but they don't, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. So, uh, you know, try to uh, produce more than you consume and save the difference. Save it in an intelligent way, preferably in gold or perhaps the right uh, selected cryptocurrency. So there are things you can do as an individual without getting politically involved, which is really kind of playing the enemy's game as far as I'm concerned. Uh, one thing you caught, but definitely, I'm sure, piqued the eyes of a lot of people. You said, you know, be rich, be wealthy. In today's society, a lot of people that go to a job and they, you know, they work a certain amount of hours, so they get paid for their labor, for their time, and then they, they, you know, have a bunch of it get stolen from them and given to the government, which probably spends it on, you know, transsexuals in Pakistan or, or you know, whatever they spend it on. It's just absolutely terrible. So, what is it? What are some of the ways that you would think that would be great starting points for people to look to get wealthy today and to begin to have the least amount of interference from uh, the government or anyone else that would want to steal their wealth? Well, first of all, I, I'd urge people not to be an employee if they can possibly avoid it. What they should try to be is an entrepreneur. Now, that may intimidate some people uh, who are used to working for a paycheck. But the fact of the matter is that uh, there's an infinite demand uh, for goods and services from all the people in the world. Everybody, if they have one car, they probably want two cars. And if they have two cars, they probably want a Ferrari for a third car. They want bigger houses. They want better clothes. They want more services. So there's an infinite number of goods and services that you can provide to the marketplace if you're clever. And that will make you independent. You won't be dependent on an employer so much, some, uh, somebody else who can fire you. So I, I'd, say that's, I'd say that's the most important thing to keep in mind. And then the money that you bring in, uh, put it in the, do something intelligent with it. Uh, uh, don't just put it in a bank, you know, especially with interest rates at all-time lows and currency depreciation running at oh, much more than 5%. It's probably running 10% now. You can't believe the government's figures. That's uh, pretty wild, especially if you read uh, John Williams from Shadow Stats. It's yes, that's quite correct. That's a, that's a, he's, he, Williams, uh, Shadow Stats is is quite honest in the way he computes retail inflation much more than the uh, government agencies. You're quite correct. Uh, I, I suggest buying um, gold coins, silver coins, doing so privately, putting them aside, uh, saving in the form of uh, well-selected cryptocurrencies. It's another thing to do. If you have more money, uh, you should uh, diversify internationally get some of that money out of your native country because you're as big as the financial risks. 
are today. Uh, political risks are even bigger. So you want to get your capital out of the control of any one government. And one of the other articles member had been reading recently is that he said that liberty no longer has a home now with all these different uh, tyranny coming that there may not be a particular nation state or country at all that will really define liberty is there any particular place where people can gather like is there, if you were to say maybe that are there any particular states in the u.s or there are there any particular cities in the world where the people that love freedom the most are more likely to gather because maybe people will just go there. Maybe they'll just go in groups. And even if they're in, it's one town in the world where people have liberty, I'm sure people will go to it. So I'm just curious um, how you see that happening or what particular cities well, or states. That's a good, that's a good observation. I, I, I've been to 155, 160 countries on that order. Uh, most of them numerous times I've, lived in 10 countries uh, around the world. So I'm pretty uh, familiar with uh, this type of thing. But uh, the colors of the map on the wall are always running and changing. Like Hong Kong, where I used to live, incidentally, used to be one of the freest uh, countries in the world. It wasn't really a country, but pretty close. Uh, and, uh, you know, now it's been taken over by China, different story. So where do you go today? Where, where's the freest place in the world to hang out? Well, most people, uh, if, if we're talking to Americans, they're going to stay in the U S because, uh, there's a lot of inertia, you know, people have family and friends and they, they, they hard, it's hard for them to transplant internationally. Uh, so where would I be in the U.S.? Well, I just got back from South Dakota in the Black Hills, uh, where uh, Freedom Fest uh, was held. But people can Google Freedom Fest and see what that was all about. 2,700 people went to uh, Rap Rapid City. South Dakota is not a bad place from a lot of points of view. You've got a lot of people that have... Uh, gathered with uh, the, the free state movement uh, around Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, probably not a bad choice. Um, otherwise, you know, you want to live in a state like Florida or Texas. You don't want to live in places like New York or California or Massachusetts or Illinois. But um, it's tough. Like I said, the whole world is being overwhelmed by collectivism and going in the wrong direction. I couldn't agree with you more. And I was thinking about what you said and what you said earlier about critical thinkers and people who are pro-freedom being, I don't know, the fringe of society. I think it's just so weird. Is that something that is a recurring theme throughout history? Because it seemed like at one point in the U.S. there was genuine freedom and they had a lot of good principles. I mean, as a pure voluntarists, I, I wouldn't subscribe to some of the uh, ideas that are even giving anyone a power authority over anyone else. I mean, in that extreme, but is that something that you, you can see changing at all? Or is that the way things are always going to be? Are we always going to have about 90 to 95% of the people pro-authoritarian, pro-government? 
and then you're always going to have that small percentage of the people pro-freedom. Is this something that will ever change? Is there any catalyst that could actually turn things around to put people or the world on a trajectory of wanting more freedom as opposed to this tyranny? And uh, I, the only reason why I bring this to your attention is because I'm seeing that people are actually fighting for their lives in Italy and fighting for their lives in France because they don't want the vaccine passports. And it's it's wonderful to see that. It's wonderful. I'm sad that they're so desperate, but it's wonderful that they're screaming out for passion for freedom. So I'm curious how you see things. Well, like I said, I, I, I'm forced to be pessimistic for at least the near-term future on this. But uh, how do you change things? Um, ultimately, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, but uh, for instance, if you have kids, you shouldn't be sending your kids to state schools where they're going to be indoctrinated with all kinds of horrible views and ideas and philosophies. So that's one thing that anybody listening to this should consider. Absolutely forget about going to a college or a university. Uh, it's usually expensive. You're wasting your money. Uh, in fact, the money goes to support the enemy. And you're wasting or at least misallocating the four years of time that you spend to do that. There's so many more valuable and educational and productive things you can do with that four-year period of time instead of going off in lockstep with all the other idiots that have been told that you should go to college. So that's another thing that, uh, that, 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 that you can do. Um, but... Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I answered if I answered your question or or, or not. Yeah, you did. You talked about uh, things, some things people could do, and just hoping that that trend turns around. And one trend I believe that uh, I've seen it in reading International Men, and I've also you know heard Ron Paul and Gerald Salente and Peter Schiff all talking about it, is that they're worried that the U.S. is going to have a hyperinflationary depression. That the currency is going to get canceled, and I always wonder how difficult that would be, being that the U.S. is the world's reserve currency, and like you know, what would people fall back on? Because I remember when, when Zimbabwe's uh, currency collapsed, they used dollars as a you know replacement. So, for a hyperinflationary depression to happen in the U.S., what would ultimately be the catalyst that would push it over? And what do you foresee something like that, hypothetically speaking, occurring within the next five to ten years, or even sooner? Well, the thing to remember is that right now we have actual Bolsheviks running the U.S. government. Uh, all these people in the Biden-Harris administration, they're actually Bolsheviks, the same psychological uh, character uh, as the people that took over Russia in 1917, or they're like the Jacobins in uh, 1793 in France, uh, or... or the Red Guards in China in the 60s, these people have the, exactly the same psychological, uh, same profile. And I don't think they're going to uh, want to give up power when the next elections come. So that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a very grim prospect. Uh, I think the U.S. is headed towards becoming a genuine lockdown police state. And this COVID nonsense is a major part of that. Uh, where the average person, you know, believes what he's told. I mean, 
you know, trying to be a critical thinker, which is to say somebody who questions everything and asks for explanations about everything, uh, seems to me that the COVID uh, hysteria, it, it, it's a, you know, it's a worse than normal annual flu, but not even remotely com comparable to the Spanish flu of 1918, not even comparable to the Hong Kong flu or the Asian flu in the 60s and the 70s, uh, and maybe the vaccine uh, is, uh, is even more dangerous than the flu. Well, we don't know because it hasn't been tested in how much time has gone by. So, um, gee, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the, look, we're heading into a time where the French saying, sauve qui peut, those who can save themselves, is, is the operative thing. Uh, and uh, try, not to do what you, try not to do what the authorities tell you to do. Excellent, Doug. And the final question we have is, who are some of the individuals that you highly respect that either do a podcast or, or write or speak that you think that people should know about, that they should learn from, because they obviously have a, a clear way of thinking and they've got some insight and they, they, their, their ideas also help people liberate themselves? Well, you know, I'm... I think Jeff Berwick does an excellent job with his podcast, which of course has been deplatformed from uh, YouTube, but uh, is available on other channels. I think Gerald Salenti does an excellent job uh, with his magazine and his podcast. Uh, I point out that, well, for that matter, I do a podcast myself with Matt Smith called Doug Casey's Take on YouTube. We haven't been deplatformed yet, but. Um, so I'm there, and who else is it that I uh, tune into? Who, who are you thinking about? Who who am I forgetting? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess there are a lot of good people out there. I mean, I know Peter Schiff does a, a weekly show, and then they have Martin Armstrong who writes uh, a lot on a regular basis. And I always think Martin's a little interesting because he's got this program that he utilizes to, to develop these trends. And he's talking about trends that are happening you know, years from now. And when I often see similarities between you and Martin and Gerald, you guys generally kind of come up with a, a very similar track or predictions almost at the same time. And I think it's very strange, but it's, it's very fascinating. And then Peter Schiff, I think with some of his trends, they, they kind of cross paths with yours. Then I, there's also I, I follow Jim Rickards as well. I think he's a pretty deep thinker, but um, I don't know there are a lot of great people yeah. out there. I enjoy I enjoy Rickards stuff too. Um, I don't know um, Armstrong personally; never met him. Okay. Get uh, his stuff on a regular basis, but it seems pretty good stuff when I do see it. So uh, absolutely, Same. and there are voices from the past that ought to. Uh, be given more recognition. For instance, uh, Harry Brown. Um, Harry's been dead about 10 years now, but he, he wrote some wonderful books that people should look up and, and read. Probably my favorite is How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. And another excellent uh, book by Harry is um, Why Government Doesn't Work. Uh, very clearly and amusingly written, uh, his book. So a couple more recommendations. 
Mr. Doug Casey, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, uh, Mr. Casey is a best-selling author, world-renowned speculator, libertarian philosopher. You can learn more about Mr. Casey by going to his website at internationalman.com. And on this show link, we'll post links to all of Mr. Casey's latest books. Mr. Casey, thank you so much for being with us. Well, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love, and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.